As we continue in this series, the book of Colossians, Paul's letter, we take up today in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's listen for the word of the Lord. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to say a special thank you. It's so exciting to be able to uh, be a part of a church where we have folks like Brian and Christina who work with our children and our youth and, and who say, hey, uh, we really want to bless them. We want to send them off to school uh, the right way, ready to go and ready to be there for Jesus. And, and we have some incredible people in this church. Y'all know that, right? Uh, who work and who give themselves uh, for, for the sake of the kingdom. So Brian and Christina's already gone, but thank you all uh, for what you all do. Does anybody remember the magical world of Disney? Um, I have these member, memories of gathering around the TV and watching old Disney movies uh, with my family, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea uh, with Kirk Douglas. Swiss Family Robinson, those were two of my favorites. When they would come on, forget it. That's what I was doing. Um, But there was one that surpassed all of them. It was Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Do you remember that one? 1950s? Ah, so good. Living off the Gulf of Mexico uh, in Florida, pirates were part of uh, our charm and our story and our history. And the idea for, uh, uh, for a kid like me of seeking out some kind of plundered pirate's booty was really exciting. Um, even in my backyard, I thought, I'm going to find those pirate doubloons. I never did. It's amazing how that worked out. Do you remember how the story uh, begins? Uh, Billy Bones comes crashing into the old Admiral Benbow Inn. He's seeking refuge. And then he's seeking refuge from this one-legged man, a pirate that we later meet as Long John Silver, an old, old Billy in trust that is, with his dying breath, a map to the young Jim Hawkins. And the story is set. This youth embarks on a, on a hunt to find the treasure of the notorious pirate Captain Flint. And all the while, Silver is scheming behind him in the background. It's a brilliant story. Adventure and excitement. And it all begins with a map to the treasure of dreams. 
As an adult, I have to tell you, I often dreamt up scenarios where I found some old treasure map that promised uh, the reward of fortune and glory. And you know what? I'm not alone, even as an adult. I know that there are a lot of folks who have dreams like this. Every evening on our TV stations, uh, millions of people tune in to watch a bunch of little ping pong balls spin around and then be released down a tube, displaying numbers that will change their life, right? But treasure seeking isn't just for lottery players. We pursue treasures all the time. Some, for, some of us, it's the next incredible meal that we're going to eat. Some of us, it's that piece of entertainment that'll amuse us or excite. Sometimes our treasure is simply a quiet rest, a nap. Anybody look for a quiet rest, a nap? Uh, we're treasure seekers. We're treasure seekers, and we're all searching for something. There's a group of believers in modern Turkey uh, that made up this church of Colossae. They were also seeking a treasure. They're seeking something that would be the promise uh, of a better or a more fulfilling life. And Paul, the apostle, writes to this church to encourage them, and he's trying to help them manage, um, well, this bearings of a charted course that seems to have gone awry. We might even call this letter a treasure map of sorts, one that will offer a course correction that this church really seems to need. Now, last week I said Paul was helping the church recalculate. Um, Today I'm going to say he was offering them a compass, a point. Where was that needle pointing? Well, Jesus Jesus, for Paul, is the true north. He's the supreme in the beginning and the end. And for the Jewish Christian who had come to faith, Jesus is their promised hope. Not some kind of add-on to God, but God in the flesh. That's what we celebrated Advent and Christmas. For the pagan convert to Christianity, Jesus is one who subverts all of the other hodgepodge of gods and beliefs and the collection that were out there. He replaces the multitude and he uncomplicates the constant striving and pettiness for other gods. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is really good news. But even with that good news for the Jew and for the pagan, something has happened, at least at the church at Colossae, that's bogging things down, causing confusion and and unrest even. I mentioned the word last week, syncretism. It's a blending of old and new thoughts or ideas, uh, ways of being. Syncretism is this process where little bits from all kinds of sources are added And what happens is that over time, the original becomes diluted or even forgotten altogether. And often for the sake of holding on to something that they had had before, even lesser things. So I was thinking about syncretism this week, and I got stuck on that word added. You ever get stuck on a word? I love words, and this is one that got me, and and I must have been hungry when I got stuck there because the word additive came to mind. You know, a food additive is a substance that's added to something in small quantities to improve, preserve its safety, freshness, taste, texture, or appearance. That's the official definition. 
Some additives have been used for a long time. Things like salt. Salt's been used for flavor enhancement as a preserver for long-distance travels. The right amount of salt, yeah, right? The wrong amount of salt can make food inedible. With the increase of processed foods starting in the mid-1900s, artificial additives began to flood our grocery stores. The FDA has 21 different types of additives. 21! They're from antioxidants, that's good, to anti-caking. From flavor enhancers to bulking agents and tracer gases. That makes me uncomfortable. In the U.S., approved additives are given the distinction G-R-A-S, grass, generally recognized as safe. I don't know about you, but that word generally unsettles me. (laughs) Generally safe. I'm not so sure about that sport. I wonder if it's just me or is anyone else noticing that there are a lot of invitations for us to decrease our use of additives today. I feel like every time I go into the grocery store, there's some new warning about an additive, especially an additive, especially artificial ones. We need to eat non-GMO foods and increase our whole and organic diet. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> we want to do this so we won't have those harmful side effects that are brought to us. Eat this, not that. Good grief, I just want a cheeseburger. (laughs) And as Paul hears the challenges of the church at Colossae, he sets out to help them see that there are a lot of additives that they're starting to put back into their faith. And it's causing them to slip. And these, these additives are useless and ultimately causing some damage. Notice how that reading begins this morning. I want you to know how much I have agonized over you in that church at Laodicea. Not about you, but I don't use the word agonized a lot. Paul does. It's not one we casually use. Paul is aching for this group of people. A group of people he's never met personally, but that he deeply loves. He has this longing for them that they won't fall victim by some hidden trap of adding on to what they've already embraced. He encourages them, be knit together with strong ties. He wants them to experience a community that comes from being part of the church, something called the body And this is really important. Paul isn't just saying, yay, church, or go to church. You should be there. Paul is saying that the church is a new family. Hey, do me a favor. This isn't in my notes. Look around you. Do you see that person next to you? That's part of your family. Some of us are excited about that. Some of us are scared about that. A family that is bound in such a love that nothing can tear it apart. A knot that can't come undone because of whatever previous loyalties that used to be, whether Jewish or non-Jewish loyalties. 
Later in chapter 2, Paul talks more about this new family thing, this new identity that's been given to the follower of Jesus. He warns these beloved followers that the additives that they're putting back into their faith, are, they're not worth a thing, causing confusion. This is their flavor is getting confused. For Paul, the flavor that beats all other flavors is this additive-free mystery a treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Well, that leads me to a couple questions. First are, what are the additives that the Colossians are putting into their faith? And second, what's the mystery? Well, Paul's speaking to, again, two groups, Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, those who were pagan prior to their conversion. And he uses words like empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I don't know about you, but that can have all kinds of meanings. Paul wasn't against philosophy, at least what we would call the study of the general and fundamental questions of existence. No, he's, about, he's against something completely different. Often when the Jews moved or resettled from Israel, they found hostility all around them. And so they decided that in that process, they wanted to look like other people. They wanted to limit the threat that they could experience. Many were mesmerized by the Greek philosophers and the Roman teachers. So they began to refer to their faith story, to Judaism, as a philosophy rather than a religion. For Paul, this was no good. This was nonsense. It was empty because Judaism, for Paul, was far more than an idea. It was a way of life, a lifestyle. Those high-sounding nonsense pieces could be connected to that elite approach to Judaism, but it probably had more to do with what Paul calls dealing with the spiritual powers. Those that the non-Jewish Christian believers had experienced. See, prior to Jesus, those pagans, they believed and worshipped in any number of gods. National, local, even pagan, personal household gods. For Paul, this worship and the varying duties that come along with it, that have to be performed in order to appease these gods, it's nonsense. Paul says, step away from it. The philosophies and the spiritual powers require festivities and celebrations. They require certain food eaten in certain ways. They require the, an observance of the Sabbath that wasn't even in standing with what God had called for his people. And again, Paul says, these additives are like old family members that you need to remove from your life. They're causing you to go backwards they're destructive. They're ruining your witness. They're squeezing out the reality of who you really are. Well, the mystery, this mystery of the treasure of wisdom and knowledge is really simple. This mystery makes everything else redundant. This mystery makes all extras look silly. This mystery is something that offers a complete confidence this mystery is the treasure at the end of the map, a treasure that says there's no worry of secrets missed out on, no extra elements of some hidden wisdom that we need to figure and ferret out. 
No special knowledge that's being held out for just a select few. The mystery is that the supreme Jesus is already all of that. They don't need a single extra piece. In other words, what I find Paul to be saying is this. Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. He already is all that is needed. Up to this point, we've been doing archaeological work. That's easy for me to say. We've donned our Indiana Jones hats, and we've looked at what Paul has been saying to the church at Colossae, but now we get to let it speak to us. A second ago, I stated that these additives were endangering the Colossians, and they truly were. For their identity was being pressed, squeezed, The real element of who they were was in danger. In danger of losing power in their lives. Uh, The real identity wasn't in what they were trying to do or what we can do, but it's in who we are because of Jesus. Paul says that they are baptized into that new family. They were dead, now they are alive. The false reality of trying to sound smart around other people, empty philosophies or empty talk of spiritual powers, has no power, no authority over them. It's a shell. It's a mask. It's a hiding behind who God says that they were. They didn't have to go back to that. They didn't have to worry, but they could have complete confidence in Jesus. This treasure, Christ, is the ultimate reality, and they're a part of him. Wow! They're a part of him. Brothers and sisters, this is huge stuff for the church at Colossae. And guess what? It's huge stuff for us. What they were facing is a 21st century problem, too. Did you know that? I know a ton of Christians who don't know who they are in Jesus. They come to church, they do their due diligence, they do the shoulds and the oughts and the coulds, but their identity has been squeezed into a kind of performance and there's no real assurance that God likes them or loves them. Isn't that sad? That's heartbreaking. As a pastor, I can't think of much more that breaks my heart. We add on and we let empty talk and high-sounding nonsense distract us and the treasure gets lost. We water down the story of Jesus, the impact of Jesus, and what's left is something that's barely palatable and looks no different than those who we are around. Looks no different than who we were before we met him. For the Colossians, Paul agonized over this. And the longer that I'm in pastoral ministry, the longer I see the hurt that, what, that, that we do in the name of the church. And the more I find myself with Paul agonizing. Too few of us know who we are. And the additives are just prolonging or that we think are preserving our story is really just a bland, tasteless faith. And the world around us is looking for flavor. God's intent is that we, being this released treasure for the senses, get sent out everywhere. You know, when Jack Hawkins returned from that adventure, he was able to rebuild the old Benbow Inn. It was grander than it ever had been before. 
when we meet Jesus, when we experience the mystery of Jesus, when we encounter this treasure of knowledge and wisdom that grants assurance unlike any other, we are given a treasure that rebuilds our entire world. When Jesus is supreme, nothing added. Our lostness is replaced with this connectedness that's beyond our imagination. We go from what was old and unsure to being a part of him. Being connected to a family that's so much wider, so much bigger, and so much more than it ever was before. As a close, let's take a, I want to take a minute. I want to invite you to choose a path this week. In your mind's eye, I want you to picture you're at a fork in a road. There's a way this way, there's a way that way. One of those options for us is to hold on to old allegiances, empty philosophies, trusting in some high-sounding nonsense. We can celebrate old festivals that take us backward. We can be a part of something that used to be. In the process of that, we can settle. We can lose the very flavor of Jesus that the world around us so desperately needs. Or we can choose to strip off all those additives and see that it's Jesus, the creator, the redeemer, our wisdom and the revealed mystery of God, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge who is all that matters and then we can actually live like it. What would it look like for your life this week? Whether you're going back to school, you're going to work, you're just going to be at home this week. It's a staycation week. What would your life look like if you chose to let this mystery live, be lived out in you? Paul said to the church at Colossae, I am with you. I rejoice that you're living as you should. But your faith is strong. Church, here this morning, this is a word of affirmation for us too. Our faith is strong. We're living as we should. Let's follow Jesus. Let's strip off all the extras. And let's let the hope change everything. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day again and for the opportunity to come and be a part of this family. Lord, the word family gets used a lot in our world and society and even in the church. And we forget that you've invited us to, to be family. And so I pray, Lord, that with brothers and sisters around us, we would sense that this morning. But also, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, we would notice that path. That we would take uh, uh, maybe a roll call of the additives that we've added. Maybe for a long time. Maybe new additives. And Lord, in that process, that, you would, that we would hear you call to us, follow me. I'm all that you need. And as we embrace that truth, Lord, may we have that assurance that can only come from you. And let the world take note. For this and for all things, Lord, we will give you praise and thanks and glory. 
For it is in the mighty name of Jesus that we offer this prayer in our very selves. Amen.